0: Hello, everyone. My name is Wes Bush. I'm the author of the book on product-led growth. And today I have Ramley, who is my co-host for the Product-Led Summit. And we have Mia Len, who is the product manager at Heat. And so today we're going to be talking a lot about how to instill product data into your strategy. So it's going to be a really interesting discussion, specifically just around how you can use product data to grow your business even faster. And so I am curious. So Milan, can you just share a little bit of a story about how you became a product manager at Heap?
1: Certainly. So thanks for having me in this podcast. So I actually was a product manager prior to HEAP at Uber, where I was in charge of the experimentation platform. I was responsible for the internal A-B testing tool that data scientists and other people were using uh, internally. And it involved a lot of like complex data science and also complex engineering to support the need of such a growing organization. But after a few years in the troll, I felt the need to move from an internal PMing role, meaning a PM that's in charge of internal products only used by employees of your company, to a more external facing role uh, with customers actually paying for the products that you're building. And I definitely found that in Heap and with an amazing product and an awesome team. And they also really valued my previous experience working very closely with data. So it kind of was a perfect match.
2: Mm, That's totally great. I'm curious what Heap is. For our listeners who don't know what that is, uh, can you explain briefly what Heap does?
1: Yeah, definitely. So Heap is a product analytics tool that allows you to understand user behavior. So how are your users interacting with your product? So let's say you're a product manager, for instance, in charge of launching a new feature you want to know if people are using it, if it's not too hidden in the menus, if they're actually going like throughout the entire flow and a tool like Heap allows you to do that. And the thing that makes Heap very special and probably one of the main reasons I joined is that you don't need with Heap to instrument uh, manual tracking to get to that result. So Heap by default will automatically capture every interaction on your website. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to bow your developers anymore to implement tracking, <laughs> and you also no longer have gaps in your analysis because you forgot to implement something.
0: Yeah, Ramley, have you ever had that problem? <laughs> Where, yeah, lots of times. Really yeah. lots of doubt. Same here. <laughs> it's massive. I've used some other tools and then you have to kind of go back and mm. be like, oh, I forgot to set up this one event and I have to wait a couple months to get this data again. So it can be so frustrating. So I think that's really unique. Exactly. So I guess for the next part, why is feeding product data into strategy critical?
1: Yeah, sure. So I like to think about, so a lot of to begin with, a lot of companies, they want to be more data-driven. And I think it's an awesome thing. This is something we started seeing more and more recently. And it's not just like some certain professions, like everyone from the marketer, the product manager, the sales leader, like everyone will want to try to have more data into their decision making. And I think a lot of companies, they start by thinking about that, but they don't necessarily think about exactly what kind of data like they need to make more like informed decisions. And when I look at what's out there, like that might be like a bit of a like simplified view of the world of like what data points you have access to. But there are two main categories. I see a lot of the business data and a lot of the product data. So when I say business data are things like your monthly revenue, your annual revenue, your cost of acquisition. So all this data is definitely like very important. But I think there's obviously this other category of data, the product data that actually tells you like which features are leading to a better conversion or how people are actually experiencing your product? Are they frustrated? Are they like finding it painful to go from a certain stage to another one? And at the end of the day, like you can think of product growth as like putting more of the emphasis on the product data and looking very closely at this data to drive your decisions instead of having to continue to look at data, but more like the business oriented data that Talks about the bottom line, but not necessarily about the user experience. And so the reason I think it's so important is that it aligns with like this product-led growth movement where you actually want your product to be driving more retention, more adoption of like what you're building.
2: Mm. Let's think on that. What kind of product data should people be tracking to really make better informed decisions? uh, Particularly at maybe each stage of the company's growth. Maybe like startup might be measuring something differently than like something that's already like IPO or with public.
1: Yeah, and I definitely think that's right. Like there are different levels and stages of like how advanced you are in your product data strategy. And so I think the first step might be like using data to look at what happened in the past. So basically like using data more as a rear view mirror to understand like what your users did, what they might not have done as you expected them to and analyze that. So a typical example is like you have a sign up flow, for instance, in your product because you want people to go from maybe a a free experience to something that's paid and you look at your product data to understand which steps of this flow are broken or not as intuitive as the others so that it's a very much more streamlined process. So I think first stages very often in your company product strategy will involve a lot of this rear view mirror looking at what happened in the past to improve the product going forward. I think at this stage, and typically this is when you start having maybe more engineers or data engineers or data analysts in your company, you start to want to get into the world of prediction. So you not only look at user interactions in your website and what happened in the past, but you also try to predict what is gonna happen in the future. A good example of like an applied case of that for like a product might be if you expect spikes during the holidays, for instance if you have a very seasonal product, you might like start to have more advanced, like forecasting and prediction models Mm -hmm. so that you can expect, you can forecast whether you need to change things around certain period of activity. And, Another thing that you might start doing at this point are also things like A-B testing because A-B testing is also about uh, predicting what might work in the future. So what you're doing now is like you're running different variations of your product to understand what works best to then like roll out the winning variation to all of your users. And maybe the latest stage, but that's like more advanced companies and I would definitely like advise not to jump there directly, but do it step by step. Is uh, to do things such as uh, machine learning in your product. So, a typical example of that is like a very simple one, where you use your data, all your understanding of your users what they like, to do things such as Netflix does, where it's recommendations based on your taste. There's a lot of power around. Like this is also called personalization because you start to adapt the product experience to specific users. But yeah, that comes probably in the later stage of your data, later stages of your data maturity.
2: I'm really curious about that prediction thing. What kind of prediction model would you suggest? Like do you just do a linear like regression or like you just try to do something simple where like you go month to month to look at the changes, or do you do something more advanced like you're actually going to run a regression model?
1: Yeah, so there's honestly nothing wrong with starting with a linear regression. Like that works like very often and it can be like all you need for like your specific use cases. Having worked at a company like Uber, I definitely saw like much more advanced kind of prediction and forecasting. Uh, But that's also because there was like an army of data scientists that were responsible in predicting uh, traffic and usage of the app, basically. So I would definitely not shy away from doing simple things, especially at the beginning. Uh, Sometimes you have like much, much more advanced prediction models that are just incrementally better than something much simpler. And there's something to be said about that sometimes like, yes, you don't have the perfect or the ideal solution, but you have the simplest one. And there's a lot of valuable things about simplicity and how easy it is to maintain also going forward.
0: Definitely. And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on, like, why do you see product data being so much more important for product-led companies versus more sales-led companies?
1: Yeah. So, I think it really will boil down to like, how do you define objectives within your company? And if as a company, like your objectives are all centered around your sales and your bottom line and your annual revenue, you're going to like take decisions that will directly impact those things. And very often this is not going to be necessarily like more complex product decision, but things around like increasing like the efficiency of a sales team or like putting more people to like increase the number of people you reach out to. And so this is more like the sales driven approach that's a bit different than the product driven one where now you're saying I believe that the better my product is and this is translated into like product specific KPIs that will need to be set up at your organization level the more people will be happy with it will want to pay for my product will want to refer my friends and we want to share that experience with other people
0: Got it. And so whenever it comes to getting people to use data within a company, like I know there's this one saying where it's like, uh, I think it's called the hippo in the room, like the highest paid (laughs) person's opinion. And that is something that often, like people just make decisions based on what that person says. And so how do you really instill people to start Asking questions about data and really making data driven decisions instead of making decisions based on the hippo in the room.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. So I definitely think that the top down approach here is important. Like, basically, it has to be like a culture of wanting to be data driven, wanting to experiment, to try things out and see whether they work or not. So it helps if this hippo, indeed, like the highest paid person, is not just making decisions and ruling them, but asking their team, like, do you have the data to support that? Like, how can we prove this hypothesis? It seems like uh, you have a hunch here, like you have this idea, like, can we collect data to actually prove or disprove it? So I think having this top-down approach definitely helps a lot. I think it's also very important for people to understand really like why they need the data and it has to be like a valid reason because unfortunately uh, there's some kind of like pressure, like just from everyone in the industry, that you need to have a lot of data to make your decisions. So, as a result, people will make their decisions and know exactly what they're going to do and then collect the data to justify this decision. And this is obviously not a data driven approach because now you're just like trying to find patterns and you're very biased in the way you're collecting the data because you already know which decision you want to make at the end of the road. And so, Enforcing and encouraging this culture of risk taking of stating your hypothesis, but it's totally okay if it's not gonna work out because now we're data driven and we're taking data into account to come to a conclusion is like definitely something that has to come from various parts of the organization
2: hmm. I'm curious you know everybody talks we've mentioned the term data driven in the last few minutes now, like and everybody talks about that as yeah. being the buzzword. <laughs> Where's the balance between the qualitative and quantitative data? Like, how do you know that you have gone too deep in quantitative, and now you need to balance that out with more, like maybe talking to actually talking to the customers?
1: Yeah, totally. So that's a very good point. Like, you should never like see data as a way to completely avoid talking to customers and be like, oh, I don't need to do all that work because I have this like spreadsheet of all what they're doing in the product. I think it will really depend on. Your company also like an example of that is B2B versus B2C companies. And not just that, because you also have B2B companies that reach like hundreds of thousands, millions of people. So who can also be much more data driven? But in general, like B2C company can probably get away a bit better with not talking that much to customers because they have so many data points that they'll be able to leverage this data to make decisions. Although I still think that even in the especially at a B2C company, some functions such as like marketing to understand industry trends or also user researchers are definitely critical. At a B2B company, like it's actually quite different because very often you don't actually have enough data to really conclude and to identify meaningful patterns. And so when that happens, like you really need to talk to your customers. And this is something I'm seeing firsthand, like Heap is a B2B company. And although we are a product analytics company, so we definitely want to inform our decisions with data. Uh, very often, the best thing to do is not to spend hours like trying to extract the data, but go out there and talk to customers.
2: I want to talk a little bit about a tech stack. Like you mentioned that in one of your talks for founders that, what kind of categories of tools should companies be thinking about when uh, they're looking at implementing like a measurement stack?
1: Yeah, totally. So to go back on one of the earliest points, like we talked about, like there's business data and product data. So I won't really talk about the business data. Very often this data will live in something like Salesforce, if you're a B2B company or in Shopify or in Stripe, if you're an e-commerce company, for instance. But talking about the product data, there's indeed like a lot of things to be said because I think for living in this very interesting time where there are a lot of tools out there and they're all doing kind of the same thing, but also different things. And so it can be a bit complicated for uh, users to know like which tool really like corresponds to my needs. I think at the end of the day, a lot of it will boil down to the level of data maturity in your organization, meaning like, do you have like several data scientists, for instance, or is it just like marketers mostly, but we want to make the most of their data and also your budget. And so like maybe if we do it like from like very small companies to like a large company like Uber, when you're very small, you can probably start with a free tool such as Google Analytics just to like get some of the basics because it's important to start collecting data from day one. But you will probably hit its limits pretty soon because when you look at product data, you will want to have a very user-centric view of your users and what they're doing in your app and at that point it might be good to move on to a product analytics tool so obviously i'm recommending heap here but i won't get too much in there but basically like having a tool that lets you collect all the data from your product, your website, on your app, and also has some basic like ad hoc analysis and dashboarding features. So this way, like even if you're not someone super technical, you can still go in there and do some like analysis and maybe set up some basic dashboards that the rest of the company can look at. And typically what we see is that companies who get there and continue to grow, will actually start having data talent in-house. It's very often that at this stage, like you have like some kind of product analytics tools and maybe you also have some reporting in Salesforce and some like other forms of reporting. You start at this point thinking, okay, maybe now I need like data talent in-house to make the most of like those different like uh, sources of data. And very often what happens at this stage, and I, I don't know exactly, like it can depend on your like business and the volume of data, but I would say like 100 to 200 people, you start wanting to invest in a data warehouse. So basically what the data warehouse is, is like a centralized place where you will send all your data coming from various different places. So you could very well send your heap data, for instance, for, to a data warehouse, and also your data coming from Salesforce, and also maybe your data coming from your own application, like your backend servers, and send all that data in one place. And the reason I think it's important at this stage to have data talent is that this needs to be maintained. So even if like today there are a lot of warehouses like Snowflake or Redshift that can be on the cloud, you will still need to maintain the tables that live in that warehouse and make sure that they're fresh and they're always up to date and that if you're joining information from different sources of information, like the joins will be properly done and they won't break. And what that lets you achieve is that now you have all your information in one centralized place and you basically have this full 360-degree view of your users and how they're interacting with each stage of your product.
0: And so how do you really recommend people to get buy-in for some of these products? Because... I know there's the common alternative. Like there is many tools to solve these problems. And I know from a previous customer, they hadn't invested before in product data tools and they had used Google Analytics. And there's, I mean, it sounds crazy. You think of like, oh, like, you know, Google Analytics can't track users or so many different things It's limited, but... A lot of businesses, sometimes when they're smaller and they're thinking of like, well, why do I need to do this bigger investment in product analytics? Why do I need to understand the users? How can people really go and make that business case to maybe an executive who doesn't really understand the importance of tracking users and all these other fun things?
1: Yeah, totally. That's a great question. So, I definitely think there are two things here. Like, one, and that might be the hardest case to make, is like the time that you're saving. Because if you have these tools now, like maybe you have less time, like trying to crunch the numbers from things that, like you said, are not user centric. So, will not give you like a complete picture of what your users are doing. And also, like, another example will be the time you save by being able to pull that data yourself without having to bug developers to implement more code or to like extract something from like the internal databases so that you can like run queries on top of that. So there's all this like I want to save time because I want to definitely inject data as much as possible in my decision making process and right now it's taking me too long to do so. So that's like one argument. I think the second argument is also like, can you use this data to actually like empower new workflows? Are there things that you can do with this data that you used to not be collecting? And now not only that you have this rear view mirror, you understand like, how your users are interacting with your product, but you actually also directly act on it. So an example of that is that if you start collecting this data at the user level, you can re-engage with your users. Like let's say you're a marketer and you have collected all this data and you know exactly like which uh, segment or cohort of user uh, might be likely to come back, but maybe they haven't heard about this new feature because you can tell like from the product data they haven't interacted with that new feature you just rolled out so now you have extracted a very valuable data set because you have a list of users to target so that they can come back to your product and that they can give you feedback and also maybe like go from churned to reactivated users and so I think this is also a strong argument to invest early on in like having like a full picture of your users and how they uh, work with your product.
0: Interesting, and so whenever it comes to like, let's say someone does get some of these tools and starts tracking their product data to make better decisions from more strategic level, like what are some of the most common mistakes you see people do again and again that just frustrates you?
1: Uh, that's funny. I think that it's hard to say that there's one thing that all the companies do. I think a lot of it also has to go with organizational structure and how like basically they deal with the data. I think something that I actually was guilty of for a long time was uh, trying to make the data perfect. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but basically like there's always going to be like some discrepancies. There's always going to be like a margin of error and I've seen people and I've Again, like I've done that in the past, trying to reconcile everything. Like you have data coming from maybe some of your backend servers and also you have some data coming from your product analytics tool and you're going to try to match them exactly so that exactly the same amount of users are in one tool and in the other. And I think that's a losing game because you're never going to be able to. Like there's always going to be like this small margin of error and you have to be okay with that. Okay with the fact that even if it's not perfect, like what you're looking for now is like directionally accurate because you want to be able to make decisions and you're gonna to waste too much time if you're just trying to reconcile everything perfectly.
2: I wanna get the other side of that would be what one piece of advice you would have for companies who are just starting to gathering product data and you know in the hopes of trying to to be more product led. What would be your one piece of advice for those kind of people,
1: yeah. So we touched a little bit on that, like the fact that you want people rallied around like certain metrics. And in this case, if you want to be more product led and not just driven by like bottom line revenue or bottom line metrics, you want to rally people around metrics that talks to everyone. So I think it really helps if you're able to identify for your product, what is this metric and try to get people to talk about how to have an impact on that. Because it's definitely easier to say like, oh, I want to look at my monthly revenue and every team will discuss like how they can impact the monthly revenue. But that might not lead to more like product-led decisions being made versus having a metric around like how many users are converting from a free trial to a paid product and trying to increase like, for instance, the time to conversion, and also the percentage of users who convert. And if you rally like uh, people in your company around those metrics, like slowly you'll start seeing people interested more and more in those product metrics and how to make them better and have an impact on them.
0: Awesome. And so, I mean, how can people really use product data to make better decisions? I mean, there's so much right now that people could look at. And I feel like with software as a service specifically, It's just there, you can track everything and it can be overwhelming for so many people. So if you're to kind of go through and help people set a strategy, what are those metrics that people should look at right now and get a handle on them and help them really focus on what are the, I don't know, the glaring areas in their business?
1: Yeah. Again, I wish it was that black and white and that I had an answer that would apply to everyone out there. I don't think there is one. I think something that we hear more and more, and I think it's a great thing, is the metric around retention. So I think in the past, a lot of people have been focused more on acquisition and basically getting big, fancy numbers. So you can say, I have that many people using my product yes but if these people are churning after a week or after a month like you're not going to have a viable business so uh looking at retention is definitely something that a lot of people are starting to do and that's something that makes me very happy to see and i'm hoping that yeah next decade even more will continue to do so yeah and and the way you look at retention will probably depend a lot on your company and what you define as retention like some products are meant to be used like once a month to do expense reports or even once a year sometimes if you're paying taxes. And so you have to have the metrics that go along with like what your product really does to define retention properly.
0: I guess on the flip side of that, so opposite of retention is churn. So what are some of the most common mistakes people make when really getting data around churn?
1: Yeah, churn data is an interesting one because same thing, like there are a lot of different definitions. Like um, again, like taking the easy like tax examples, like yes, people are not logging in your product every month to file their taxes, but that's not churn, that's probably okay. So I think being very clear around uh, your cohorts of users and how you're defining like this metric of churn is critical and having also like consistency across your metric because if you start, computing churn in one way and then you change along the way, uh, you're just not going to see this trend of whether you're increasing churn or not. And I think segmentation also is very important because you want to be able to slice and dice the data to understand churn, not just holistically. This is important, but you also want to understand if people, for instance, who come through a specific marketing channel are churning at a higher rate than people who come from another one. So being clear on like what those segments are for your business might also really help because there are some patterns you might not see at the high level, but once you start zooming into like some of the details, you'll see that actually a big discrepancies between uh, different cohorts of users.
0: Yeah, and I think churn is so interesting because like you were mentioning before with the taxes example, That's like a lot of companies would might look at their data. Let's say if they check in once a year, they're like, that's activity churn. These people are not coming in and using our product. So we better get on that case because you are at risk of losing that customer. Then there's like customer churn, like customers actually leaving. Then there's revenue churn. And so there's Mm -hmm. like so many different definitions of churn, which I think it's really important to look at all of them because they each tell you a very different story. And one of the things that I thought you mentioned that was super interesting is just like finding those layers of like within the product data, like finding those best customers. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something a lot of companies don't think about enough, which is, I mean, whenever we're marketing, for instance, we could always market to everyone. And we all know that's that's really silly. So how do you really go in? your data and finds who are the best customers that are using your product, and really just finding them through the data. So what are your thoughts around that and how can you find more of them?
1: Yeah. So in the spirit of continuing to be hypothesis driven, I think you need to start with what is my happy path? Like what is the flow that I'm expecting people to be pursuing in my product? And then you can see like how many people like actually follow that happy path versus the ones who might be doing completely different things. And I think as a marketer or as a product manager, for instance, to take my own example, you want to know like the percentage of people who are following what you were expecting them to follow. But I think there's also very interesting to see the ones that are not. And uh, something that we do, for instance, at Heap is that we have Heap on Heap. So basically, it's an instance of our product on our own platform on our own product and we can see like user behavior and we can see for instance when someone does something where which we were not expecting like they're doing something a bit unusual and we're thinking oh that's an interesting use case and actually they're not the only ones they're like a wide like a bigger segment of users who are doing this thing that we're not expecting. And then what we can do is that even if this is not a huge sample size, because we're a B2B company, we can go and reach out to them and understand what they are trying to do. So yeah, like being clear with your hypothesis of what the happy path is and looking at that, but also looking at understanding like the ones that are not following that path.
0: Perfect. And so that is a wrap for today's discussion. Thank you so much for taking the time to really share uh, what it means for people to start using data to make a data-driven strategy for their business, because it's so easy just to listen to that hippo in the room who sounds like they know what they're talking about. But when we can really look through the data, we can make such better decisions. So thank you for sharing your insights on that. But um, before we end... Where can people find some more about you and your work?
1: Yeah, so I'm not very active on Twitter, but I do have a LinkedIn, so I'm happy to connect with people there. And if they have more like product data questions, I'm happy to answer them as well.
0: Awesome, well, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Sure, thank you.